0: Welcome to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. To learn more about Collective, you can follow us on social media at My Collective Church, or head to www.mycollective.church. It is officially the Christmas season, so we'd like to take a moment to share our Christmas plans with you. This year, Collective will be hosting three identical in-person Christmas Eve services that you won't want to miss. There'll be one service on December 23rd at 5 p.m. and two on December 24th at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. We will also have an online service on December 24th at 8 p.m. We would love for you to pick a service, grab your friends and your family and your neighbors and come celebrate with us. Also, to help us get ready to celebrate the life-changing story of Christmas, we have created an Advent calendar that is available on the Church Center app so you can live out the spirit of Christmas every single day. The calendar is complete with a passage from the Bible for you to read and a challenge that will help you share Christmas with your friends, family, neighbors, and coworkers this Christmas season. Don't forget to tag us on social media whenever you complete a challenge or are impacted by a passage you read because we'd love to share your story with others. Now, let's jump into Sunday's message from our Share Christmas series. All right, by a show of hands, how many of you are the type of people that randomly burst out into song? Like, you're walking through a grocery store and you hear that throwback from high school and you just can't help yourself. Or you're in the middle of a conversation and someone says something that sounds like a line from a song, so you feel like you have to sing the second half. You sing while you're driving in the car, taking a shower, cooking dinner, during meetings that are super boring, in the middle of church when the pastor asks you if you randomly burst onto a song. Please don't do that. Just keep keep it in your head. Now, I genuinely love music, but I am not the type of person to do that. Uh, Spotify told me last week that I listened to 43,000 minutes of music this year, which was over 30 days, um, and more than 90% of people in America. And in case you're wondering, my my aura was angst and uplifting. Which, if you know me, that feels completely perfect. But you will not find me randomly singing as I go about my day in public or in private. In fact, I went to the NF concert a few months ago with some friends, and it was easily one of the best shows I've ever seen, but I spent most of the evening with my hands in my pockets, occasionally mousing the words. But I have this friend, uh, who's named James Fruits, whose life is essentially a musical. He has an incredible voice, and he sings all the time. He also doesn't have any shame. Uh, one time, we were driving to Kentucky together to attend a church conference, and about halfway there, we stopped at a Waffle House, which was mistake number one. And while we were eating breakfast, James decided to sing, I'm proud to be an American, at the top of his lungs. And I was mortified. It was the top five most embarrassing moments of my life. But when he was done, everyone clapped for him which actually only fueled him more, because later that night, we were in a Walmart, and he decided to sing it again. Uh, he actually stood up on one of those like little turnstiles that have the bags on it and sang it as loud as he could. In fact, in 2017, James went viral— Because he sang the national anthem over the intercom at a Missouri Walmart, and it was all over the news. (laughs) Uh, If you Google like American man singing in Walmart, he pops up way too many times. Uh, Now, some of you are also looking at him, thinking, "I think I've seen this guy before." Uh, You have. Uh, He actually came down from Ohio when we opened our building. Uh, He played bass for us that weekend, and the whole weekend he was here. He was singing. Like, dude even sings in his sleep. I'm not kidding. He talks in his sleep and he sings in his sleep. For James, if there is a song in his heart, he's just got to sing. So, today, we're going to continue reading through the Christmas story by jumping back into the book of Luke. Um, But before we do that, let me catch you up on the last few weeks of this series. This whole series started with us talking about how faith requires action. James, Jesus's little brother wrote that faith without action is a lifeless faith. And with Christmas being a season that is full of faith, our challenge has been not just to have faith, but to show that faith to others. To not just celebrate Christmas, but share Christmas. From there, we started reading through the story of the birth of Jesus. And in Luke one, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her that she was going to give birth to the savior of the world, even though she was a virgin. And while this turned Mary's world upside down, we talked about how she had peace. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Last week, we jumped out of the book of Luke into the book of Matthew, where the angel went to see Joseph, who was engaged to be married to Mary. And the angel told him not to leave her because she truly was going to give birth to the Son of God, and we would call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this brought hope not just for Joseph and his relationship with Mary, but for the world, because Jesus was coming to save us from our sin. Today, we're jumping back into the book of Luke, and we're going to read a section of Luke 1 that's titled, The Magnificat, Mary's Song of Praise. Magnificat is a Latin word that means magnifies. And what is happening in this section of the Bible is Mary is singing a song that magnifies the Lord. And this song is Mary's reaction to finding out that she was going to give birth to Jesus. It was a song from the heart. And she's praising God for what he was about to do and for the part that she was able to play in his plan. Let me put it like this. Mary understood that the best way to spread Christmas cheer was singing loud for all to hear. And that might be irreverent. I'm not sure. Don't email me about it later. You're fine. Either way, let's look at this song that she sang after finding out that she was going to give birth to Jesus. It starts in Luke 1, verse 46. It says this. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And so this is a song Of joy, which is the main theme for today, and we're gonna talk about a little bit more in a few minutes. But Mary continues For he took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So Mary reminds us that she's just an ordinary woman living an ordinary life when all of this happens. Now, if you grew up in the Catholic Church, the Virgin Mary has been mystified a little bit, uh, and she's been kind of put on a pedestal. She's like right below Jesus, but like right above us normal people. But that's not the case. Like she even says she's just a lowly servant girl. She's just a girl. And by society's standards, Mary is a nobody. She is not royal. She is not wealthy. She's not pious. She's the future wife of a carpenter, that's it. But even with all of this being true, God chose her, right? Mary says, he took notice of me, right? God saw her. And because of this, even though Jesus would share that same low estate with his mother when he's born in a manger to poor, insignificant, outcasted parents, future generations would call Mary blessed. And that word blessed simply means happy. Future generations would just call her happy. And it's not because of intrinsic personal worth or some special holiness that she had, but because of the child that she was bearing. The song continues. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. And then as she sings, there's a little bit of a change. This song transitions to being about what God has done for Mary to what God has done for all of his people. It says, he shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. It says, the beginning of time, God has shown mercy to his people. And when Mary uses the word fear, she's not talking about people who are afraid of God in like this terrified sense, but people who have a deep respect and reverence and awe for God. So God shows mercy to people who trust him. God shows mercy to people who honor him. God shows mercy to people who revere him. And then another change happens in the song. Mary actually switches from past tense languages to something in the Greek that's called futuristic errorist. And it's rarely used in the Bible, but this is what she uses here. It's the idea that she's singing about what God is going to do in the future based on what he's done in the past. She sings, his mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. Mary sings about God's compassion and mercy, and now she's singing about his power and his strength. And what she's doing is she's actually referencing verses in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 5.15 says, Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out of this with his strong hand and powerful arm. Right? This is about God bringing the Israelites out of slavery. It's God's power that freed them. Isaiah 59.1 says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear you call. What he's saying is it doesn't matter how broken you are, how lost you are, how far gone you are, God is strong enough to save you. The song continues. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful, right? And so ultimately she's singing, God has done this before and he will do it again, right? God has brought down rulers and he's lifted up the humble. He will feed the hungry. He will help his people. He will be merciful. And she finishes with this line and here's why. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. We can trust that God will do these things because he promised he would. God promised that he would send someone to rescue his people, and he sent Jesus, which is why Mary sang. And this truly is just a beautiful song of joy that Mary sings in response to this ridiculous news, this crazy news that she was pregnant with the Son of God. And so let's talk about the joy that she shows and the joy that she shares in this song. Here's how the American Psychological Association defines joy. Joy is a feeling of extreme gladness, delight, or exaltation of the Spirit arising from a sense of well-being or satisfaction. And there are actually two types of joy. There's passive joy and there's active joy. Passive joy is defined as a kind of contentment with the way that things currently are. But active joy is defined as wanting to share your experiences of joy with others. And this is really important. Joy is not the same as happiness. Happiness is a feeling that's based on situations, people, places, things, and thoughts, ultimately, things that are completely out of our control. Happiness is a future oriented and codependent thing on outside circumstances or other people. But joy is a choice you make no matter what is going on in your life. Author and pastor Eugene Peterson wrote that joy cannot be purchased or arranged, it is not circumstantial and based on money relationships, or sports. Amen to that as a Washington fan. It's just always depressing. But joy comes from God and is found on the truth that God is in control. And joy is one of the key themes that we read throughout the whole story of the Bible. On page one of the Bible, it says that God created the world and saw that it was very good. So naturally, people find joy in beautiful and good things of life. The Psalms share with us that victory in battle, Brings joy. Psalm 104 and Ecclesiastes 9 talk about how food and good wine brings joy to people's hearts. Some of you want to say amen to that, and that is totally okay. Right? Scripture talks about how we find joy at weddings or we see it through children. Paul talks about how godly relationships bring joy. Jesus teaches us that answered prayers bring joy. Acts 15 tells us that joy was one of the major themes in the early church, but not everything in the Bible is a joy fest. In fact, I believe that the most powerful verses about joy are the ones that are also about trials and pain. James 1, 2 says this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And this is the same James that we talked about in week one. And James is encouraging people who follow Jesus to embrace their trials, not for what they are, but what, for, for what God can accomplish through them. Trials create a stronger faith, and joy is found in that. Isaiah 52.9 says, Let the ruins of Jerusalem break into joyful song, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And so Isaiah is a prophet who God speaks to to deliver that same message to God's people, and he's telling the Israelites to find joy and comfort and redemption that God brings. Right? And what that means is it doesn't mean that their life isn't full of ruins, it doesn't mean that there aren't ruins in their past. It means that joy comes from a different place than sunshine and rainbows, that you can have joy among the ruins. Second Corinthians 6.10 says, Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We owe nothing, and yet we have everything. And Paul, who's writing this, his whole life was this duality of heartache and joy. He felt both, and that is okay. You can have heartache and joy. And so joy isn't that everything is perfect. Joy isn't that there are no trials in your life. You can have joy and pain. You can have joy and ruins. You can have joy and sorrow. One of the Bible plans that I'm reading right now said that joy is an attitude that God's people adopt not because of happy circumstances, but because they find their hope in God's love and his promises. I'm going to read that again. Joy is an attitude that God's people adopt, not because of happy circumstances, but because they find their hope in God's love and his promises. Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' own life and his love. Right? That's real joy. So with that understanding, let's go back through Mary's song and look at different aspects of joy that she sings about. And so here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, this is what I want you to write down. Here's the first thing about joy that we experience through her song. We need to find joy. All right, let's go back to the beginning of the song. This is what she sang. It says, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of this lowly servant girl And from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. Listen, Mary had every right to look at her circumstances and think, this isn't good. That God was asking too much of her, that God was putting her in a situation that she didn't want to be in, that she wasn't prepared for, that she didn't ask for and didn't expect. Right? Let's not romanticize this because it's part of the Christmas story. This was a trial that she was faced with, but she decided to find joy in her circumstances. She chose to hold on to God's promises and the love that he had for her. Right? And cynical people would read this story and say that she's being naive. Right. Like Cynical people would say that she has a blind op- optimism, and maybe she did. Maybe she's so young that she doesn't fully get it. Maybe she's naive. Maybe she's foolish. But I'm not sure that's what it was because she knows how this story is supposed to play out. She knows the prophecies in the Old Testament. She has heard the story since she was a child about the coming Savior. She knows that she isn't raising Jesus so he can live a quiet life and meet a girl just like his mom and start a family of his own. She knows that he will live a life that makes him the perfect sacrifice. She knows that he will be betrayed. She knows that he will be led to the cross where he will be put to death in an excruciating fashion. She knows that he will be scorned, abandoned, mocked, and abused. And so she has every right to choose disappointment, frustration, anger, resentment, sorrow, you name it. But that's not what she does. She chooses to find joy, to remember the good things that God has done and is doing in her life, that he saw her that he loves her, that he's with her, that Jesus was sent to rescue her. And because of that, she has joy. And while we can't fully put ourselves in her shoes because we probably won't become pregnant by God through the Holy Spirit in our lifetime, we understand what it is like when our life changes in an instant in a way that we didn't expect. When you got pregnant before you were ready and he walked out. When your job forced you to move away from your community and start over when your relationship hit rock bottom and you didn't see it coming. And the truth is you can find joy and hope in God's love and promises, or you can find something else. And this is hard. And if we're being honest with ourselves, we'd probably realize that there are things in our life that actually bring us joy that we're choosing to ignore because it's easier to be angry. It's easier to be petty. It's easier to be sad. Psychology Today wrote an article about why people choose anger over joy, and this is what they wrote. There's a perverse pleasure in getting mad. Despite the fact that anger rarely solves anything and frequently makes matters worse between you and the person or the situation that incited it, in the moment it still affords you considerable gratification, unconsciously, self-servingly resorting to anger offers you a reward of both comfort and consolation. And it labels the other as perpetrator and you as the victim. It's easier to choose anger over joy, but it's more mature mature to choose joy over anger. And don't forget, you can have sorrow and joy. And I would even venture to say that you could probably have anger and have joy as well. But it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And it's a choice to find joy in the circumstances of your life based on the good things that God has done and is doing. The second thing that I want you to write down is that we need to share joy. Mary doesn't just sing this song about what God has done in her life. She doesn't sing about her own joy. She also sings about the joy that other people have felt, and she actually rejoices for and with them. In other words, it's not all about her. A few weeks ago in the lobby, someone asked me what the collective logo meant and where it came from. And I've realized that we're over four years old, and I've actually never shared this story from stage before. Uh, when we were trying to figure out the logo for Collective, we worked with a designer who was a friend of mine, and our goal was to create something that felt strong and approachable, something that you could look at and immediately get a pretty good understanding, a pretty good sense of what that church was all about. I also didn't want it to just be letters, because letters don't actually mean anything. They don't say anything. So we wanted a strong icon. And we were sitting in Starbucks downtown when she showed us the ampersand for the first time. And if you look at it, you can kind of see that the the, the curves of the ampersand kind of make two C's for collective church. But the vision behind the logo was the word and. Not only does Jesus teach using and when he teaches us about loving God and loving people, when he teaches us about grace and truth, the ampersand also reminds us that it isn't just about us. That collective wasn't just started for collective people. Collective wasn't just started for church people or for Christians. Collective wasn't just started for us. Collective was started for us and. For us and our friends. For us and our neighbors. For us and our family. For us and people who are just like us that desperately need Jesus. And too many churches forget about and and make it all about them, but that's not who we want to be as a church. There is nothing about Christianity and the things that Jesus offers that make it just for us. Everything is about us and. And that's why we constantly challenge you to take notes and take what you are learning here and bring it out into this world. It's why we constantly challenge you to invite people to be here with you because it's not just about us. So when it comes to the joy we feel and the joy that we find, it's not just about our joy, but figuring out how to bring that type of joy to other people, right? And CT said it earlier, like one of the easiest ways to do that is to invite people to Christmas Eve. People are longing for joy. People are looking for joy. People are struggling right now. And we believe we have the source for that. And so if we are just looking at our Christmas Eve services as things that are just for us, we're missing it. It's about us and. And so we share joy, right? Because it's not just about Mary, but all of God's people that she rejoices for. It's not just about me, but the people in my life that need to experience that same joy that only God brings. Here's the third thing. We need to hold on to a future joy. One person put it like this. Joy is not determined by our struggles, but our future destiny. Mary sings about what God is doing in the future because of what she has seen him do in the past. She has faith that God will continue to work. So she has a joy for what God has done, for what God is doing, and for what God will do. She has a future joy. Today, the trough is here because we're celebrating two people getting baptized, one at the end of each service. And I said this a few weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again. I don't think there's a better way to end your year than declaring your faith in Jesus. And that's what Zach and Tessa are going to do today. And I want to share with you some of what they shared with us when we asked them why they were taking this next step. Here's what Zach said. This decision to get baptized and follow Jesus means to let him be my guide instead of aimlessly floating through life. I want the purpose Jesus can offer, and I'm open to the challenges and the shaping of who I am that will come with it. Here's what Tessa shared. Being able to know that Jesus is there and that he knows and sees and loves the real me is so important. Baptism for me is walking into a new chapter of life with someone holding my hand who will never let go. So here's what Zach and Tessa know. They know that their future is better in God's hands than someone else's. They know that their future is better in God's hands than their own because they have seen what God has done and is currently doing in their lives and they're ready to see what God can do and will do with their future. And that's not because baptism makes everything perfect. It doesn't. It doesn't make everything easy. It doesn't make the trials go away. I wish it did, but it doesn't. But what baptism does do is it creates a way for us to choose how we approach our future, and a future with God is better than one without him. And because of that, there is joy. There is joy in the idea of God going ahead of us. And so if you have never taken that next step, the question is, what's stopping you? I mean, the truth is, I know what's stopping many of you, fear of messing up again Fear of what your friends and family would think. Fear of having a bunch of people watching you get dunked and then cheering you on. Fear that you don't fully get everything you think you need to understand about faith. And those are all very valid. But maybe the challenge is to choose something other than fear. Maybe it's as simple as just choosing joy, both current and future joy. If that is something that you are longing for and looking for, that is something we want to help you take that next step with. And if you're ready to do that, you just check the baptism box on your digital connection card, and our Next Steps Director, Danielle, will follow up with you this week. We're already having a few conversations with people right now who are looking at taking this next step at the beginning of 2022. And maybe you should do the same. At the beginning of my message, I shared with you all about my friend James. James is one of the best humans I've ever met in my life. Uh, But James has had an incredibly hard life. He and his wife struggled for years with infertility. Eventually, they got pregnant with twins, but they found out their daughter, Miley, was born with cystic fibrosis. When their kids were in elementary school, they took a leap of faith, they trusted God, they moved to a new city to help start a church. He served diligently and sacrificially for years, but then he was fired because of interpersonal issues with the lead pastor and the church essentially blacklisted them and cut off all of their community. And then a few years ago, they learned that his wife Christy was diagnosed with cancer. In January of this year, Christy passed away, and it was devastating. But James is still the most joyful person I know, and he always has been, even through pain, even through anger, even through the exhaustion and isolation and relentlessness of this world, he exudes joy. And in his trials, there is joy. And in his heartache, there is joy. And in his ruins, there is joy. And the reason why is because through everything James and his family have gone through, they find joy in God's love and his promises. Promises that he will lift up the humble, that he will fill the hungry with good things, that he will serve his people, that he will be merciful And throughout Christie's battle with cancer, there was a phrase they kept holding on to, and it was, God is good, God is good to me, and God is good at being God. And this brought them joy, not because everything was easy, but because they trusted in who God was and is and will be. God is good, God is good to me, God is good at being God. So listen, I don't know everything that you're going through, but I know that it's hard. And I know that many of you right now feel sorrow, and I know that many of you feel like your life is surrounded by ruins, but I also know that you can still have joy. You can still find hope in God's love and his promises, and you can still share that joy with others, and you can hold on to a future joy that only comes from the birth of a Savior. Let's pray. God, um, I don't think we fully understand Mary's song. God, I, I think we read this song and, and it feels beautiful. But God, we, sh- we truly struggle to understand how she could have so much joy in such a hard season of life. And God, we resonate with that. God, it is hard for us right now to feel joy with everything else that's going on. God, with the ups and downs of life right now, with two years of dealing with COVID and and life still being hard. So God, I I pray as we read this song and as we, we think about this season of Christmas and this season that's full of joy, God, I pray that we recognize that it's not intrinsically joyful because it's Christmas and we get to wear tacky sweaters and drink hot chocolate. But God, that joy only comes from choosing to have that joy that is found in what you give us, in the hope that you give us, in the promises that you give us of mercy, in the promises that you give us that you see us and that you love us and that you'll take care of us. And so God, I, I pray as we finish up this, this Christmas season, as we head into Christmas and beyond, God, that we recognize that joy doesn't just come naturally, but God, it's something that we have to choose no matter what our circumstances are. And God, we choose that joy because we've seen what you can do, what you are doing, and what you will do in our future. So God, help us do that and help us bring that joy out into the world that desperately, desperately needs it. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.